them all the way. Talk lines open now at 247-2000. Happy Monday, my friends. Michelle here with the Greater Catch Can Chamber of Commerce for Business Matters Monday. And we've got a full house today, but as usual, first up, it's Dave from the governor's office. He's on the line. How you doing, bud? Well, it's always good to lead off the week with a win, isn't it, Michelle? <laughs> it is, and I've got a trick, another trick question for you today, so don't say that oh, too soon. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and the fun's over. All right. <laughs> all right, so leading with the win. Tell me all about it. So the Biden administration, I guess it's a half win. So the Biden administration, there was a Bloomberg report that came out late uh, last week, either Thursday or Friday, saying that the uh, White House was going to conditionally approve part of ConocoPhillips' drilling plan. And, uh, that, I mean, that's good. That's good. We're, we're very happy to have drilling plans approved. We're very excited about that. Um, but, but one of the, the challenges that we also heard was this would be it under the Biden administration. There would be no additional this or additional that. Uh, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit is sort of the line, right? And uh, according to reports today, I- indeed, uh, that, is, that is what happened. Uh, the conditional plan was approved. There would be three drilling pads that Conoco can utilize. Uh, the, the challenge, of course, is that the, now the, the Biden administration, in addition to that, uh, announced that they are reviewing other restrictions, you know, thousands of acres off Alaska's coast and uh, other, other restrictions that you know, you, you, you have some good news, but then you have the Biden administration, which is a, a challenge to keep the, the good news flowing, to keep the momentum, I guess, going on, on all of that. And that's sort of where we are right now. And uh, so we, 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 what is it, cautiously optimistic, and we'll continue to monitor what it is that the, uh, the White House is planning, what they will do, and what they, they won't allow us to do. So, so we will uh, keep looking at that and uh, let, uh, you know, let folks know. You know what? Lots of resources in the news lately. You know, you've got the whole um, Trollers Association action going on. Uh, with that group from down in Seattle, in the Washington area. Um, just It seems like there's a lot of stuff in the news regarding the use of Alaska's resources lately. Yeah, yeah. Some of it, uh, uh, you know, uh, positive, and unfortunately, uh, some of it fairly negative. So... <laughs> You know, we, we, we're we're no stranger to it, and you know, I, I I'm I'm curious. I was talking with a coworker earlier today because you and I have talked about workforce development, and we talk a lot about workforce development uh, in some respects, just about every week or every other week. And I, I just can't help that there is a consequence or impact of continuous stories of. You know, the, 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 the Washington either stopping, slow rolling, or halting this economic activity or that economic activity in the state of Alaska. And, and what that has for folks' idea of moving to the state to work. 
you know, in the in the fifties and sixties and early seventies, Alaska was a place that you would you would want to go to because it, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of good things happening, and and now whenever you read about the, the state of Alaska and something happening, yes, Willow is a positive uh, uh, story. But, you know, it's also coupled with a story about how, you know, there will be restrictions on what can be done in the state of Alaska. How long-term, yes, there is this project, and it's an enormous project between Willow and Pika. We're looking at, what, 200 to 230,000 barrels of throughput through TAPS, which is great. I mean, it extends the pipeline. We don't have to have these awkward conversations about dismantling and, and closing the door. But, but it also has to have a chilling effect for people that may be looking to relocate to an area that has, you know, economic opportunity or long-term uh, uh, financial opportunity. And, and whenever you think about Alaska, you can't help but read about the federal government pointing out that the state will not be um, uh, a, a positive place for ongoing development, at least for the next two years. And I, I, I always look at those stories, uh, you know, especially today's announcement, and this is a great thing. And then I, I look at uh, the, oh, by the way bit, and it, it just drives me nuts. No, I agree, because those are the things when people are considering making a move to a place, city, state, whatever, what have you, um, they look at, in my mind, three things, long-term economic viability, schools, well, four things, housing and quality of life. And I I say quality of life, it's all those other things, you know, uh, outdoor recreation, the arts, and so on and so forth. And they're going to take a place off their list of a place where they might consider moving if it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to come here and make a life, a long-term life. No, totally agree. Totally agree. And and it's it's part of those unintended consequences or or however you want to look at it or, or view it. It, it is... It's a challenge for the state. It's a challenge for, you know, when you talk to the different trade associations about the opportunities that that, uh, this project represents, all of them good, all of them good. But you you also have the challenge of where are we going to get the people? And I I know that that for for years the cottage industry of complaining about how, you know, we have out-of-state people that are moving here and and out-of-state people that are are, – I'm go, you know, wanting to to work in Alaska, and we sort of have these these sort of uh, you know furrowed brow sort of weird stuff, and, and then you look at you know what what Alaska really needs, and we need people, and what we can't afford is this notion that people aren't important, and or or that our long term economic viability is a challenge. No, I agree. I agree. I like. I saw what what did I see this regarding? But apparently, there's a big uh, viral phrase going on around right now from people uh, from Oklahoma, and they're like, "Hey, don't California our Oklahoma." Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, listen, I've got Sue Doherty from Sarah, Southern Southeast Regional Aquaculture Association in the house. I also have Richard Harney. He's a planning director with the borough. And Sue Pickerel, um, all here for different things. But uh, the reason I wanted, because this kind of... This kind of came to my attention because I'm new on the Sarah board, and we had a board meeting last week. And um, I remember when I interviewed the, the governor right here on this show um, years on ago. On that show? Yeah, on this show. 
On this, he, even, he even used it as his promo video, man. It was that good. <laughs> anyway, so uh, one thing that he was running on, if I recall correctly, is this streamlining of permitting. Uh, we need to streamline the permitting of a whole variety of different things to make Alaska more uh, business friendly, more livable, etc. And so anyway, this big issue came up at the board meeting, um, and it was really interesting. And I thought to myself, ooh, I got to tell Dave about this. I got to start asking about this because it goes against everything that the governor said. And, you know, a lot of times I'll bring these things to your attention and you're like, oh, we didn't know about that. So this is why we bring it to your attention. Anyway, so here's here it is in a nutshell. DEC um, is regulating the private nonprofit aquacultures basically under the same water quality standards that they're applying to seafood processors instead of the category that is specifically designed for aquaculture. Well, what that means is that it's going to cost our nonprofit hatcheries, fishing is very important, uh, like a million bucks to adhere to this standard. And the feeling is that the only reason DEC is doing this, because they're actually being stricter than the Clean Water Act, right? But the feeling is that the DEC is only doing this because they want to make life easier for them on the paperwork end. Oh, I, I don't know if, if government exists to make life easier for itself. I, I think usually what happens is, like like every other government reg, it starts with a good idea and it starts simple. And then as it goes through the development process, it, it just becomes a, a monster. You know, I, I view mariculture uh, like any other agribusiness. And some of the challenges that the state of Alaska has have in setting up agribusiness is we don't have very good models that we're choosing from because some of these are 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 made from scratch and not necessarily adopted from from other jurisdictions. So uh, I, I know your guests are, are, are going to talk about it. If if you could, ha- and they, they're they're probably well, they're not probably they're far better versed on it than I. If you could have them at the end of the show, you'll send me an email. You got all my contact info, yep. Michelle. Uh, and, and then I can I can help facilitate perhaps a conversation with those guys and the folks at DEC. Well, that would be great because literally, from what I heard, is that and it, it doesn't necessarily apply to Sarah here in the in southern southeast, um, but there are some other hatcheries around the state due to their size and whatnot that if they if they incur these kind of costs just simply because of. Putting in a, a regulation that doesn't apply to them, they actually might shut down. They might yeah. not be able to exist. And you know, fishing is so important. And I, people always know and have respected fishermen. It's a major economy in our state. But um, you know, the the aquaculture associations around the state are really important to feeding that cycle of creating fish for our fishermen. Oh, you're not going to get any argument from me. No, <laughs> I, I totally agree. Yeah, well, I'll do it. Hey, Sue, do you want to weigh in real quick with anything? Go ahead. Oh, she's looking at me like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the aquaculture associations are in the midst of renewing, reissuing their discharge permit. And uh, we've had several conversations with ADEC um, just uh, two Fridays ago was the last one. And, and we're just uh, kind of at a stone stone wall here with um, being regulated as a seafood processor instead of aquaculture that we've, we've uh, it requires monitoring of net pens that are unnecessary and it affects our pH of our natural waters that we use to propagate fish in and it just it doesn't make any sense to us that we would be regulated at this stricter level when 
the reason there is a criteria for aquaculture is because of our, our minimal impact and the recognition of that. So we're just... Like, don't help! Save us a million dollars, please! <laughs> yeah, that's just Sarah for one year would be under this net pen requirements is, that, is estimated a million dollars, yeah. Well, explain real quick for the folks listening, just in case they don't know, explain real quick what a net pen is. So most of our fish are transported to different sites, reared there for a short period of time, three or four months, and then released in an area that doesn't have natural returning fish. But it's an area that has a fisheries presence. So when they return, whether they're gill netters, saners, trollers, sport fishermen, um, subsistence users, those fish are caught um, in the natural areas where people n normally fish. You don't have to go to like a terminal. A lot, maybe you've heard of terminal harvest sites. Uh, most of our fish where we release them are caught in the natural occurring mixed stock fisheries. Um, yeah, okay. All right, interesting. But so uh, with the net pens, EPA actually has um, an exemption for net pens. If, you're, if it's for less than four months and you're rearing native species, EPA has an exemption, which um, ADEC does not want to recognize for aquaculture. So, I mean, ah, there's an out. The there's, an out. there's an out, but the state has chosen not to use it. Why is that? Huh. All right, inquiry minds want to know, Dave, how about I'll send you all of, I'll get you guys all hooked up and you guys can start that conversation. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan to me. Awesome. You're always so helpful. I always appreciate it because I think one of the values of this show is, A, we're catch a can, yet the governor's office calls in on Monday. How cool is that? But just that when these kind of issues surface, and I never know when they're going to surface, but you're so awesome about following up and getting answers. I mean, you and I have had so many fruitful conversations about, boy, we've talked about everything under the sun, it feels like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, we, we, we don't... We don't know what we don't know, and uh, the government never does anything perfectly, and sometimes we're lucky if we do things okay. So the more information that we can get to to update and, and adjust our policies, the, the better off we are. So, yeah, I appreciate uh, what, what you guys can provide to me. And just real quick before you go, Dave, uh, Sue, were you saying that there was going to be some pr presentation to the legislature tomorrow? Yeah, the PMPs are, are um, going to be in the House Fisheries at 10 o'clock doing an update. We've got a lot of new legislators. Um, oh. What we do, you know, our impact to the economy, all of that kind of stuff. So Very cool. Be there. Awesome. All righty. Hey, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. You bet. You, you guys have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, thanks, Sue. I appreciate it. Yeah. We got both Sues in the house now. Sue Pickerel just arrived. And now we're going to flip over to the other committee that I'm on. It's like Michelle Committee Day on the radio here. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. Thank we'll you. talk to you later. And hello, Sue. We'll talk to you now. Um, all right. So, guys, we've been working on the tourism strategy uh, management program and um, together for... Has it been like over a year now? It's been over a year now. Holy yes. smokes. Yeah. So, we've been working. But now this month, March is really... March is really kind of the not the finish line, but a real crucial month for where this where this program is coming to fruition. Am I correct? That is correct. Yeah, we're we're coming up on the uh, the home stretch here, if you will. Um, we've been uh, operating. We've been doing this for about uh, about fourteen months or so. Um, we're heading into our uh, this. It's a sixteen month process. Uh, that we're speculating on and, and we're hoping to be finished here. We're going to hopefully get the uh, draft 
uh, Ketchikan tourism strategy uh, out to the public here in the next uh, month or so, internal, and then uh, get it out to the public. And then they're going to come back and, and hopefully do a, a validation portion. So that way the community can read it, look at it, and really validate the plan, which is something different than what we than what we've done for other plans. Most of the time we, we contract out, at the borough level anyways, we contract out, we get the plans crafted, we have all of our public outreach, and we bring it back, uh, we look at it internally, we bring it to the assembly, they adopt it, and there you go, we've got a plan. Um, this one's going to take an extra step just to make sure because tourism is so vital. Let's talk about validate. Okay, validate yeah. basically means, okay, here's what we think you told us. Yes. That's it. Did we get it right? That's right. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. How do we validate that? And how do we make sure that what the community told us is what we are putting in this in this strategy? Well, and let's talk about that for a second. You know, Sue, you can chime in too. Um, you know, there were some comments. You know, I don't care what you're doing in this community, um, and and I've heard it a lot lately. Like, oh man, I wish I would have known that whatever it is, say anything about the St. Patrick's Day Parade, or I didn't know that it was wearable, whatever it is. But this particular process, I feel like has been highly publicized and has tried so hard to be inclusive of not only all of our communities, meaning the city, the borough, the city of Saxon, our native communities, um, our fishermen, our, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, and we did a huge mailed out community survey there were online forums, there were in-person forums. You guys have been on the radio, I've lost count how many times. Um, th there still is time though for people to chime in, am I correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Please, if you have any comments or suggestions or thoughts, you know, we wanna hear it. We still want to hear that. That's, it, the time is not out. And yeah. this is a strategy. So this is not a one and done, a plan from A to B. This is a what direction are we heading into the future for tourism in our community? And that may shift. That may change as, as things change in the community. Yeah, I agree. What you got, Sue? Well, I, I just was going to say that I agree with, you know, with your assessment that it has been very inclusive. In fact, the first few meetings that I came to, I think they purposely invited people who were against anything tourism. <laughs> I think they purposely invited some of the tour operators that had had not necessarily bad experiences, but, you know, were, were experiencing some difficulties and um and, and often, um, because Ketchikan Indian Community sees ourselves as uh, we are a federal government, and we, you know, we we often provide services to our own tribal members, but we don't necessarily, you know, reach out as much as we um, could and should to the community at at large. And I think this effort has really been um, trying to reach out to everyone and and all stakeholders involved. And I think uh, there's more than fifty. 50 different stakeholders that participated and uh, they were very careful to listen and what I noticed particularly on the areas that were identified um, especially by the people that participated was it, it isn't just about tourism it is about the local folks that work here and and what does and doesn't work for tourism and, and I noticed that three out of the eight major areas that were addressed are about workforce and about housing Indeed. and, ha and right. how does how does that affect local people that live here year-round and so that's for me I've lived here all my life and and to hear that that this is kind of the first time that I've heard that we've tried to address the whole picture yeah well and you know here's the thing I was gonna say um, you you can say well I'm in the city of Saxman or I'm in the city of Ketchikan or wh whatever you're whatever you're saying but the bottom line is this is an island we're all here and we're all in it together mm -hmm. and so that's kind of the spirit of the idea 
of this program. And I really like the fact that, I mean, I, let's talk a little bit about the, the strategy because I just want to make sure and underline the fact that this is not something that is like something that is written in stone. Because who knows? Like, who saw the pandemic coming? Raise your hand if you saw it coming. Yep, no one raised their hand, right? So things change. Like the mm -hmm. governor's office said, we don't know what we don't know mm -hmm. until someone tells us. And that's why things, you know, you can deviate a little bit. That's right. This is really finding that <laughs> north arrow. Um, you know, which direction do we as a community want to go? You mentioned quality of life earlier, and that's exactly what this is. This is a strategy to have a quality of life and a quality experience for those folks that come. We're a destination. That's what we are. We're a host destination. We need to be better hosts in the, in the future. Well, uh, yeah, in, interesting. So you've got almost two sides of the coin, I think. So on one, one side of the coin, you have that visitor experience, right? Mm -hmm. And we have all sorts of visitors. We have people who come via cruise ships. We have people who come to go fishing. We have independent travelers. All sorts of people looking for different experiences as part of their temporary experience here. Let's not forget, folks, how many people in this town, I'm not included, but how many people <laughs> in this town, Reuben Duran, came here on a cruise and said, wow, that was such a great experience. And then they moved here and now they're very big contributors to our community. Okay, so that's your one side of the coin. How do we how do we have that great experience for the people that are visiting Ketchikan? Because it is a major economic driver, if not the biggest economic driver currently. But on the other hand, how do we provide that quality daily life experience for the people that live here all the time? Mm -hmm. All the time, and, and I'm not just talking year-round residents because we do have a number of residents who are here today for half the year. Right. They're here for half the year and then they go off and they do something else That's right. and then they come back. But they're, they're, their experience counts too mm -hmm. because I always keep thinking to myself, if the people who live here are walking around with scowls on their face, <laughs> I hate it here, this place sucks, it's the worst. Yeah. Well, then people pick up on your vibes, don't you think? That's right. I think, uh, I certainly think the pandemic was a huge uh, change. There were a number of entrepreneurs that had started up small businesses and, and were really excited about, you know, tourism. And, and it looked like every year we were gaining more and more people coming to town. And really, this is the first year, I think, that, that we've kind of come back almost to the same numbers that we had before the pandemic. And, and so I think the opportunity um, to really encourage people to get back into tourism, to um, come up with ideas, and, and people have been real creative, I mm -hmm. think, about the kinds of businesses that are available and, um, you know, a lot of online uh, businesses that have started, but really to have people in our town and as much as, you know, having two million people walking, you know, around town in the downtown area and, and wherever, you think about uh, a lot of businesses in this town live based on you know, five to six months uh, of tourism. And, and it's important mm -hmm. for us to all support that. Well, we also can't think about the ripple ripple effect, right? And a really, really long conversation, fascinating discussion um, with Ben Williams over at Alaskan and Proud. And I, I don't know why this didn't occur to me um, sooner, but he was telling me how much, believe it or not, our local grocery store was affected mm. by the pandemic and the loss of that business, the, those ripple effects of various tourism industries, guests, um, and restaurants and everything else uh, really affected their business. And I, I just, I didn't know. So there's lots of ripple effects throughout the community in various industries via tourism and the workers that they bring. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. So, great. So next step 
for uh, this particular strategy. And I want to also, hey, let's talk about something else. You and I were sure. talking about this before we before we hopped on the air mm -hmm. because it has been in the news lately, specifically on KRBD quite a bit, um, about Sitka and their plan that they're in the middle or starting or I'm not sure, but they're, they've got something talking about tourism up there. Um, how is theirs different than our process? Well, I really don't know. I haven't talked with uh, Amy, the planning director up in Sitka for quite a few months. I know that they, they did have a tourism uh, plan of some sort in, in the past. Uh, that was prior to their, I think that was put together prior to them having a private cruise ship berth up there. And now that they have a private cruise ship berth, um, they came up with some uh, some plans uh, to, to mitigate some of the downtown traffic, the pedestrians, uh, shutting down certain roads and that sort of thing to accommodate. So I think that they're now going back. Temporary bathrooms? Yeah, temporary bathrooms, <laughs> right, those type of things. And so, um, you know, they're now they're trying to look at it holistically, and I think they saw what we're doing, and, and they're moving forward with, with some sort of plan or strategy, but I, I don't know all the details of what they're doing. Okay, yeah, because it didn't seem... Their, their focus is a little bit different, and, and so that was kind of where I was going with this, um, and that's their community, that's right? right. Yep. Um, and there's my point. We're, we're working for our community. We're working for what's best for Ketchikan and our island, that's right. right? Not if not some group tourism effort across southern southeast. I would say that we do want to look at Southeast as a destination as a whole, right? right so Southeast course. Conference, they've been uh, accommodating, they've been helping uh, get the communities together and, and working towards more of a, a holistic, a larger kind of destination uh, plan-ish type thing. Um, but yes, ours is very specific for Ketchikan. And we do have the cruise line uh, industry agency uh, working with us. We've included them. We're not excluding them. Uh, you know, they've been part of the conversation from the very beginning because they have to be. They're one of the major stakeholders. Yeah. And I would say our community really is going to, if, if we're going to survive um, as a community, as a whole, we're going to have to work together because I don't foresee there be a lot of monies coming into our community for tourism or even for, you know, starting up new business. If we're, if we're going to survive, it'll be, have to be because we work together and can identify the issues that, and, and how do we solve them together. Um, so I think, I think this is a good first effort and I'm anxious to see the strategy overall and, and, and also the reaction of our community. Um, and, and hopefully people will participate and those business owners that have maybe felt marginalized or maybe didn't understand, um, you know what this effort is um, that they would really come and you know as you said uh, it's not too late to to voice your opinion and what we should be doing with tourism and, and that goes for the residents too not just business owners or, or those folks yeah, that totally. are in the industry but also the residents that are year time year round or even partially year round um, visitors we want to hear from them as well we want to make sure that everybody's voice is included in this and, and that the validation process does take into consideration everybody's thoughts feelings um, and opi opinions on this so. yeah so do everyone a favor because we did have a couple of folks reach out to some of our committee members and they weren't so internet savvy or maybe i don't know they didn't read the news i have no idea but uh they literally felt like 
the boat had bypassed them and right. that and and this was kind of few and far between so if you're listening to this on the radio hey maybe start that conversation up if you're having a conversation with a friend and make sure have you heard about it mm -hmm. did you have a chance to participate yep. you're still more time to participate uh, I think that's really important because we don't want you know to come to come up with these validations and kind of start rolling this thing out and then for 50 people to be like hello we were here all along you never listened right that's not the goal that's it so you know reach out to your your uh, elected officials reach out to your council members your your tribal council members um pretty much everyone i think should know about it and if they don't they should be able to at least get you in, in contact with me um at the department and then i can get you in contact with the uh, consultants and the website what's the website uh ktntalk.com if you go to ktntalk.com they there's a website a portal in there uh, for this project um, specifically you can write your comments on there you can write questions you can provide your input um, see what the new key dates are that are upcoming um, and any of that sort of thing so you know please don't hesitate call us uh, get hold of us send us an email um, I would say send us a text, but I'm not going to give you my cell phone number over the <laughs> air. Um, but uh, you know, get get hold of us, uh, any of anybody. I'm just I'm just thinking that we probably should um, let folks know what kinds of issues that have been brought up, uh, if that's absolutely. okay. Yeah. Get my glasses here and put those on. Um, so there, the areas that um, that were identified um, as the eight priority issues: with transportation, infrastructure, and traffic congestion. Work shortages, lack of year-round jobs, limited workforce development opportunities, lack of destination level management of visitor flows, over-dependence on cruise tourism, and the lack of product diversification. Lots of jewelry stores. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Downtown. yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, lack of coordination and communication among stakeholder groups, lack of tourism department or tourism-specific destination management, lack of holistic system for monitoring tourism impacts, lack of affordable housing for tourism workforce, and no skill building opportunities or consistent standards for tour operators and tour guides. And I will say that um, you probably, if you're listening and you hear those, and, and one of those you know irks you and you say, wait, there is that, that does exist, that is happening, tell us. Tell us, because we want to make sure that we are, we're hearing it correctly. These were just the priorities that were identified during our stakeholder meetings and the communications and the surveys and the online surveys and the everything that we've been doing. So, Yeah, so I think that's really important. Um, and those are, those are the, the main, main issues. And then I'm assuming that we're going to delve down a little bit more. You know, so if you think about an outline, you have like the number one and then underneath A, B, and C, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's important. I think, too, some of the the things that I liked about when I heard about the planning and, and what was going on and having everybody in the room was what is the best way to address the issues that we have, um, either with a, a board or a commission or, um, you know, a work group? Uh, what would, What's the best way to, um, you know, to address that? And that, and that was... For me, I think that's probably one of a first, um, not necessarily that the visitor bureau or the chamber doesn't do that, um, but they all have their own interest. And I think this effort, I think, is to reach out to, to everybody and have, again, have the stakeholders at the table. So so that was, a, I, I look forward to, to hearing, you know, what that final organization looks like and the method for uh, reaching out to people and then uh, coming to agreement on what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what you were referring to um, as what they called 
of course, me being the marketing person, I'm I'm an advocate of renaming that. <laughs> but in the meeting, at least, they were calling it like a governing board. Um, I would be an advocate of it be being called um, a steering committee, mm -hmm. uh -huh. right? Because governing people think about different things when they hear the word <laughs> governing, right? Yep. And so if if we're having a plan that can change and because it could be say five years from now um, pick any one of those things on that list oh well we solve that mm -hmm. um, but now we've got this other new thing that that has cropped up right. um, so you know this this list might evolve and that's where I think the word steering might be more appropriate it makes sense for a strategy since it is a, a document just pointing at us and all in the same direction moving forward so steering it does make sense the other aspect that I thought was for me, it was kind of exciting to hear the, the different uh, thought patterns and whatnot. It's not just about the tour ships downtown. Really, it isn't. And I think that's that's probably a, a concern for a lot of people who live here year-round because it seems like everything revolves around whatever's happening with tourism. But it really was about how do we identify bringing more, um, you know, more visitors through the ferry system, uh, mm -hmm. through uh, outside visitors that come here for conferences or, you know, like a Ted Ferry or the hotels and all of that. And how do we get, how do we get that? That, um, that kind of activity, that kind of excitement about Ketchikan, what do we do to attract, uh, you know, more and more visitors and not just, you know, any local meetings that might come from other parts of the state or whatever. Um, uh, what is it? The, the uh, Elks Club and the, you know, the VFW, they all have different meetings throughout the year. And OKIC has a number of, um, you know, conferences and folks that come in for um, you know, for the tribal leaders and whatever, and and to bring all of those folks to Ketchikan to want them to come here and stay here—that's money that stays in the community because they're they're staying at our hotels and eating our food and buying. They stay gifts longer, and, they spend yes, more. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting that you would bring that up because um, I was having a conversation. As a matter of fact, we helped Royal Caribbean um, place some of our local artists mm -hmm. and local experts. Um, this upcoming summer on some of their ships, not only on Alaskan cruises, um, but based on the talent levels um, and areas of talent of some of those local artists, they're actually going to be cruising the Caribbean, wow. Royal Caribbean. <laughs> but the big takeaway for me, and I believe this to be true, is that they said that their guests are looking for something that is very authentic, mm. very different, very unique. Uh -huh. And so it's not just that canned experience where it's the same thing for everyone and you kind of almost like you know what you're going to see before you see it, right? Before you arrive. But something really local, hyper-local and unique. And so I think that's a takeaway. And then back to what you were saying, Sue, about the meetings, that's a tremendous opportunity. Uh -huh. That is a tremendous opportunity for growth in Ketchikan year-round. Uh -huh. Year-round. Because there's so many cool events, I think. Uh -huh. So many neat things that happen. I mean, wearable arts, that's a, that's a big oh, one absolutely. right there. Right. Um, that would be a great draw. And that would be great for an independent traveler. But then also, there are bajillions of meetings uh -huh. all over. <laughs> and then if you think about Ketchikan, um, I was talking with a friend a couple of weeks ago, and she's a, a major convention and hotel uh, planner uh, for big stuff, big stuff. I mean, we, we actually planned an event for Rotary in Montreal, and she helped me negotiate that contract. But anyway, she first thing she's like, oh, Ketchikan, so unique, so boutique. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's interesting. 
Well, so why wouldn't you reach out to, say, some companies in Seattle? Mm -hmm. um, they could do corporate retreats up here or anywhere in the Pacific Northwest or smaller associations. Um, I was laughing with someone. Um, oh, who was it? Uh, I'm like, well, you bring the Chiropractors Association right. up here. You know, whatever. There's a ton of different things that you could do that would really kind of spread that around the calendar. And I think that would be great for business in Ketchikan. Yeah, I concur 100%. And that that uh, authentic, you know, authenticity for Ketchikan, you know, that's what that's what people want to come and see. That cultural uh, tourism, heritage tourism that that's ongoing and, and kind of peaked about 10 years ago or so. And people really want to see that. Um, the, the museum, the historic commission, they're putting up signs around the on buildings. Um, they have their colorful uh, characters, signs that tell the history of Ketchikan. They also are now doing the buildings to tell the history of some of the buildings. But that's what they want to see. That's what people want to understand. They don't want it to be the canned experience. They want to understand what really makes Ketchikan tick. You are so right, because I live right around the corner from Creek Street, so I'm walking my dogs all the time. Um, and I have to walk them separate, separately, so I get double the walk time. But anyway, so all of the people that are milling around that Creek Street area, um, I can't tell you how many minutes they stand just looking and talking amongst themselves about the signs on the various buildings. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, yeah. That's it? And here's my, literally this just popped in my head. <laughs> like, boink, just popped in my head. You know what I think? I wonder if part of the reason why people want something more unique more authentic and more unusual is also because maybe they already saw a bunch of it on social media mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. right yeah like the little black bear in the old tatsuda grocery store yeah <laughs> we were in california when that happened and and the people down there were just talking about it thought it was just hysterical yeah, yeah i mean yeah. so they you know how many pictures of creek street have they seen or you know maybe so i think maybe that's right. just one of the little tiny pieces to that puzzle where people are looking for something more authentic <laughs> we, had, we had my niece up here this summer and her husband just was laughing hysterically because we drove by on tongas uh, and he looked up and there was literally a um a house built into the mountain. And he said, look at that. You'd never see that anywhere. <laughs> right? <laughs> From Upper Water Street. It was hilarious. He just thought that was so funny. He, he said, we got to stop. i got to get a picture of that. <laughs> well, there That's you it. go. There you go. All right. Well, hey, guys, talking about having a community conversation, I want to share something with you. Um, the Chamber in Sebia, that's the Southern Southeast Alaska Building Industry Association. We're coming together in March, March 24th, 25th, and 26th to host a whole wide array of events that are happening. On the 24th and 25th, it is the Job Fair and Expo happening over at the Plaza Mall. We still do have booth and table space available. You just need to reach out to us at the Chamber and we can fit you in. In addition, we have a whole array of really cool, I'm calling them mini seminars, um, on, I mean, the, the, the array of topics is extraordinary. Everything from marketing to customer service to how to write a resume to how to deal with DOT. Uh, what's, are you having problems with workers' compensation? All of those kind of things. And then on Sunday, um, Sunday we're having a parade of homes. So that's turning out to be, that's developing into something really exciting. Who doesn't want to go inside and see people? You know, I want to go see people's house. I get ideas. I want to build that house. I want to buy that house. Whatever it is. That's happening on Sunday. And then I pulled this up. You want to talk about having people at the table for a conversation. We're having a ginormous table out at the mill at Ward Cove. And 
so here's what it is. It is our, we're calling it the local table. Totally casual. Come in your come in your jeans and your tufts. Bring the whole family. We'd love to have you. And here is the menu. It is one long table. One people keep calling me. Can we buy a table? I'm like, no, you can't. It's one long table with 180 seats. Well, you can't do that. We'll have live music. It's going to be great. I, even the ice cream truck's going to be out there. Oh. Yeah, I talked to Mike. I'm like, hey, nice. the kiddos might want some ice cream. Can you bring the ice cream truck out? Anyway, so here's what it is. Tickets are 50 bucks or four for 150. Kids under six eat free. And here is what is on the menu. So conversation starters. Phyllo tart with melted brie, caramelized onion, and roasted pear. Tomato basil soup shooters with cheese topping. Ricotta butternut squash soup shooters. Mini twice-baked potatoes. Papa's bravas. And then they're going to line the whole table up and down with this ginormous community charcuterie board. <laughs> and that's featuring capicola, prosciutto, salami, pepperoni, assorted meats from Bar Harbor, as well as a variety of cheeses, almonds, and Greek olives. But wait, there's more. <laughs> and then fresh up and down the table, there's going to be flat iron steak crostini, stuffed cremini mushrooms, crab cake, smoked salmon bruschetta, and individual meatballs. And then, as if that weren't enough, desserts, plates and plates of desserts featuring blueberry turnovers, mini blueberry parfaits, and mini lemon tarts. Wow. I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> Maybe I am hungry. Anyway, you can get your tickets at catchcanchamber.com and check it out on our Facebook page. That The local table starts at 4.30, so it's very much a Sunday supper. Oh, well. So you go out, do your do your stuff, and then swing into the mill at Ward Cove. I don't know if you guys have been there lately. New chamber members, so I swung out there. I was like, whoa, this is really cool what yeah. they've done in there. Did they yeah. fix the road? <laughs> um, the road has been better. The road is better. Um, but you know what they what they've done. The last time I was there was when, like, I think literally when they had first purchased it, mm -hmm. and so they did kind of this little soiree. But it was in the empty building. Yeah, it was in the empty building, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, this is cool. I can't wait to see how this turns. Well, now they're going to have like a live running creek in there, oh, and wow. Kyle Quinn was telling me that they just did a whole um, directional sound system in there because they have all these trees and all these different parts. Oh. And so when you walk through, it'll feel like you're in nature. Really hear the birds on one yeah. side and the and the this on the other side, and so on and so forth. All sorts of like little. Um, boutiques for shopping they've got like a live air restaurant they have mm -hmm. a stage where they're this summer they were telling me they're going to do live music on fridays plus they can show films and they're going to have all sorts of they're already doing art classes out there nice. so the place is huge it's really cool and i was i was that i was blown away and i thought and you know what they also have the perfect space for a long 180 person <laughs> table so get your tickets we'd love to have you and if you have any questions about the weekend um just definitely check our social media and we'll be coming out with a bunch of print ads so i think that'll do it what do you perfect. guys think well thanks thanks and for coming great. in that was Thank really you. fun that was really fun all right that'll do it have a great rest of your week remember the chamber is here to help you 24 7.